all. Good afternoon to the rest of you. Let's take our Bibles once again. And uh, we have been uh, working through Mark, but I would actually... Uh, actually, you know what? Let's read Mark chapter 6. There's a passage we kind of went whew, over the top of last week, discussed it briefly, but uh, quite honestly, I'd like to come back to it today. And uh, I'm going to read this passage, and then we'll also go back to Matthew, which will be the one that we'll be using as our text today. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. When he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled, and immediately talked with them. And saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Turn back to Matthew for a moment. Matthew chapter 14, and we'll be reading just that portion again that uh, would reflect this passage we uh, read in Mark. So we'll begin in Matthew chapter 14. And we will uh, start in verse 22, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out of fear. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out all over that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. May God add a special blessing reading of his word this afternoon. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we're here with a great deal of anticipation because you, the awesome, holy omniscient, omnipotent, truly outrageously tremendous, loving God. We're gathered in your presence today. We're thankful for what you're going to do today. I would ask that you would speak to our hearts, quiet us, quiet us in the sense that we want to see and hear you only. 
we would ask, Father, that these moments would be meant specifically for you as we worship you. Literally to bow our hearts, to bow our minds, to bow everything that we are to you. Now, Father, these moments, we know when we obediently take that approach that we will be blessed. Father, we give them to you, knowing that we will receive much more in return. Now, we ask again that the Holy Spirit would solely and completely be our teacher today. As the Spirit uses the word, our lives will be changed. We would ask that, Father, we would just get in line and receive the blessings of your word. We'll thank you now in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Uh, Last week, we talked about what probably was the most significant uh, miracle that Jesus did, literally, on earth while he was living. If you caught how I said that, there was only two miracles that were recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of them is obviously his own resurrection, which that, that's why I'm here. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, now, I'm not at all, you know, I'm amazed uh, reading about a passage of Scripture of which Jesus created out of nothing, biscuits and fish, fish that never lived, biscuits that were never barley. He just basically just broke them in his hands and dispersed to probably upwards of 25,000 people. That's, that's cool, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here because he was resurrected from the dead. That's why I'm here. I don't know why you're here, but that's why I'm here. (laughs) Because that's what it's about. That's literally, if he couldn't have done that, the three years were pointless, right? But the really cool thing was, is those three years he exhibited power over everything else. And then ultimately, when he gave his life perfectly, purely, holy then the ultimate result would be that his sacrifice for us would be completely pure and restored in the sense of a resurrection that we one day will encompass ourselves. So having said that, the other one are the the two miracles that we talked about. Last week we talked about the feeding of the 25,000. And what I didn't say, because it, I, don't, I don't even know if I knew where I was. Well, I never know where I'm going from week to week. You guys know that. That's easy, right? But, but it seems like, you know, we just took this passage we just read, and I just kind of went, whew. I kind of went, whew, right over it, right? It was part of the narrative. It was part of where we were going. It was part of what happened. But I wanted to get on the other side of it to show you at this climax. And if we were going to take Jesus' ministry, uh, and you would, we're about two years in right now from a time frame. And, and if you were going to take it, you would take it on a, on, a, on a bar graph in the sense of climaxing his popularity. We would have the popularity of him on the feeding of the 5,000. I like to call it the 25,000. It's, it's really what it is. It's not just men. It's men, women, and children. But at any rate, we would have peaked, climaxed, if you will, right about there. Uh, what prompted it, actually, I, I think how we got there was uh, Kurt had asked a question Three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whatever it was, he and his mother and sister were here. And, and he, he asked something that was really cool because we had talked about there's people that want to use Jesus. And I've said use and not follow. I'm going to go differently to them say use Jesus rather than worship him. That's a really far off difference between those two. People that want to worship Jesus aren't interested in using him. Because if you're worshiping him, you love him. And if you love him, using him is not even in your... It's not even there. 
But these people, and we talked about that last week, so let's re- just review briefly about that. Um, in fact, maybe we'll go to John, the book of John, because we spent quite a bit of time there. And it's interesting, uh, as Jesus, and now we, we found in the passage we read today, we'll come back to it in verse 22. There's only one thing I would like to show you. Uh, are you still in Matthew, or did you already go to John? Uh, sorry about that. Go back to Matthew. I'm sort of hard-headed about that stuff. But let's watch this. At verse 21, we didn't read it today, but it's the conclusion of the feeding of those 5,000 men, beside women and children. It says in verse 21 and of Matthew chapter 14, And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Now watch verse 22. And straightway, or immediately, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Okay? Just remember that for a moment. This was Jesus' idea to get them in the ship. Now, let's go back to John now, and let's find out why were these people gathered following Jesus. We'll look at a few verses. Um, I'm not necessarily, all I'm wanting to do is get the flavor, get you into what that group was clamoring about. And it's even in, in America today or, uh, you know, uh, across the world, when you get into a group of people, you can feel the context of what they're talking about. What are they, what, what are they saying? What are they milling about? Let's go to John chapter 6 and uh, let's go to verse 2. Verse 2, John chapter 6. A great multitude followed him. Stop. Don't go any further. That's true. Uh, There's crowds that are just throngs that are actually pressing. We've seen from his teaching episodes that he's literally had, he just keeps backing up because they keep pressing him literally into the water and he finally gets in a boat and they don't get in a boat because they don't have one and he starts teaching to them. I mean, he's teaching great things and, and they're listening, but watch what the reason it says that they're there because a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. So that's why they're there. They're not there for the teaching. Mark that. That's, that's, that's pretty, did, did you miss that? That's pretty clear, isn't it? They're there because of the stuff. They're there because of the stuff. Now, I'm going to take you through the feast, through that feeding of the 5,000. And let's watch now at the, let's go to verse 14. This is literally right after that happens in John's account. Verse 14, same chapter, chapter 6. Then those men, these are the men that he's fed. When they had seen the miracle that Jesus did said, this is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. All right, mark that. Now, it's late in the evening already, right? I mean, remember the disciples? Did they see a miracle coming? No, they said, why don't you send them off? They better go to McDonald's or somewhere. Get a restaurant that's, you know, open if you don't hurry. You know, I actually think around here, you got till 8, correct? You better better do your food thing before that. And they're saying the same, hey, it's later in the day. It's late afternoon. You need to get these people off somewhere where they can get fed. I mean, we're out in the middle of a... Now, the word in the, in the, uh, in the Bible, uh, King James and mine, is a desert place, but it's not so much as what we sense of desert, but an isolated place. One that was off by itself, which, by the way, Jesus wanted to take the disciples, keeping our context, to a place that was isolated, if you will, free from activity, because they had just come from a, a, a rounding, uh, what should we say, expedition of 
great things. They were casting demons out. They were healing people. It was fantastic. And he said, you know what? It's time for you guys to come away and get a rest. So, so they land in this place, and here's this multitude of people. I want you to see, when Jesus feeds them, their number one concern is, this is the guy. This is the one we've been hoping for. This is the one that can meet our physical needs. Right? How many people do you know of that look at God that way? What can I get from God? What can I deal? Can I make deals with him? Can I do something to get what I need? Not at all interested in the sense of adoration, love, or affection. Okay? That's, it's really interesting in the standpoint of where the whole concept of how these people are so engrossed in only what their little world is about. Isn't that amazing? And guess what they did the next morning? Now, as you'll see, there's two things, and we want, we're going to look at five different attributes that literally we, we read in the fact that the disciples worshipped Jesus this time. Take a step back like three or four weeks. We talked about Jesus being in the boat in this massive storm on the Sea of Galilee. Same sea, same guys, same everything, except guess what? This time, Jesus isn't in the boat. Okay, But again, this is, this is key. He told them to go to the other side of the sea. They were in Bethsaida or in that region. Not there exactly, but they were in an area where they, land, where they took off. I don't know exactly. But it would have probably been somewhere between four and five miles. Maybe even just four. That They would just cut across just that narrow part of the Sea of Galilee to end up at Capernaum. That's what he said. You take off and head for Capernaum. And they'd done that. They, these guys are from there. They know all of that stuff. But they followed his advice. Uh, not an advice. They followed his command. Constrain is a big word, isn't it? Uh, as a parent, there have been a few times I've constrained my children. <laughs> and you that are laughing or smiling or afraid to actually have emotion, you did too. <laughs> okay? So here we go. And Jesus is, is in a pickle. He's a little bit of a pickle right now. Uh, one of the things, sometimes we just go, just, just fly over the top of, he went to the mountain and prayed. Doesn't that sound great? It does, by the way. But, no, wait a minute. <laughs> Let, hold, hold the atmosphere. we got 25,000 people that are ready to take this guy, hoist him on their shoulders, and take off and rule the world. And, by the way, tomorrow morning, let's have breakfast. Right? In fact, you doubt that. That's where they came. We looked at that in John last. They, the next morning, even though Jesus had taken off, and they're all there. Oh, where's Jesus? There's no boat here. And he's not here. Now what? Well, they actually had that little discourse on, which I think is the pinnacle. It's the absolute climactic point, a watershed, a continental divide in truth, shall we say, and how they received or they believed or did not believe. We talked about the power of unbelief. There was those that believed, which was a small number. There were a great deal of those that disbelieved when he said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He's, he's making a huge statement. I fed you physical bread. I've made it out of, I created it to show you that I am who I am. Now, that's a big statement. And you know what it said? Well, let's watch what it says. Let's go back. If you're still in John, don't go back. Just stay where you're at. Uh, da, da, da. Let's see. Now we've got to go back. I've got to move. Let's see. Where am I at? 
Um, I, now, this, there's a whole lot of things that take place here. We talked about it last week, went pretty quickly, but look at verse 66. Cut all through it. He gives his discourse on the bread of life, and literally verse 66 just cars it right to the bottom. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Are you kidding me? This fervor of 25,000 people wanting to make him king, he said, no, no, I, I'm not here for physical reasons. I'm here to be king of your heart. Ooh, king of your soul, king of everything you are. Because if we don't get that right, we couldn't get anything else right. Can you imagine if those, this, the first and second coming were reversed? That gives me a headache, right? That'll be all backwards. So who's left? See, that's where we left you hanging last week, just kind of poof. They all left. Like two years down the drain. I want you to get now in the boat with the disciples. And it said he constrained, he commanded, he told them, he enforced. He said, guys, you've got to go right now. Because what, what was he doing while they were leaving? He was taking the 25,000 people and dispersing them. He said, you need to leave as well. Now, again, it's late in the evening. They probably just camped out on the hillside and have a, had an evening nap, right? What did Jesus do now? Remember, what did he do? He went up in the mountain to pray by himself. He said it in both passages, alone. He went by himself alone. Now, why would he do that? What would he be praying about, for heaven's sakes? He's got 25,000 people that are ready to make him king. Ah, they finally got the message. And my disciples are actually listening to me. They got in the boat and went. What would he pray about? You talk about a temptation. It's almost like the third one that Satan threw out of Jesus. It's the same one, except this one he's earned it. I'd be careful I say that word. It wasn't a matter of earning. He just unfolded. His power was always released because of his compassion. This is something I want you to make sure and you mark in this study. His power was never flaunted. It was never inflated. It was never put out there to show off because somebody wanted to see something. In fact, every single time someone asked for him to show them a miracle per se, he never did it. But compassion, he couldn't withhold unleashing his power. That's the God that we know and love. And now I'm completely blank. So where were we going? Just What was he praying about? Thank you. That brought me right back. So what's he praying about? I would have to say one of the things is to make sure that he got in tune with the Lord God, with Father God, his father, saying, you know what? This is a situation that is very threatening. It's a temptation that's right there. Make sure it's your will, Father. I'm not here to be a physical king. I'm not here to take these people and have a McDonald's every single meal. That's not why. I'm, now, we can do that. That's not a problem. I, I, I'm powerful over everything. He doesn't need to state that. Those are, those are on, they don't need to mention that. What is, what is very important is the fact that he's very concerned about the people that have the wrong message with the right motive. Jesus Christ unfolded his miraculous power, hoping that they would see him for who he is. And that is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christos, the one that was coming, the anointed. Not a physical king, not a new David, not a old Saul. Somebody that literally would see what the scriptures talked about as being a redeemer. But I also think that he prayed for his disciples. I want to read you a verse that we read, but I want you to clue it, t- tune into this. Now, again... Um, I've asked you to do a lot of different things, and sometimes I'm not closing it up very well. But for a moment, I want you to just slip back. I've put Jesus on the hill now, on the mountain, and he's praying. 
by himself. And I wasn't there. It's not recorded for us. But from John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, we certainly can see where his heart was. He would be praying for those disciples. He would be praying for us in the future, knowing that we would come to him. He knew all of those. That's not, I wonder who's, no, it's no wondering. He's interceding for us right now. He protects his own. We'll be talking about that in a moment. But literally, he's on the mountain. The disciples have climbed in the ship because he told them to. What it, what's the mood of those guys? You've got 12 guys in this boat. What, what, what do you think the chit-chat is there? Now, the people, they're like, what do, what do you mean disperse? I'm going to just get you going. What do you mean disperse? This is the moment we've been waiting for. Isn't this what the Old Testament scriptures spoke of? Isn't this when we take over? Isn't then we live forever and this manna has come down from heaven and this guy, this Jesus, literally can make food? It couldn't get any better. And then Jesus just breaks the party up. What do you think the disciples are saying in the ship, in their boat? What are they saying? I'll help you. Unbelievable. We've been with this guy for two years. Isn't this what we were waiting for? Isn't this what we were going for? I mean, you know, we've been getting people. They've been coming. They've been following. He's been teaching like no one's business. And he teaches with authority. I want you to mark that word, authority. He has power. We've shown him power over the wind and waves and over death and disease and over everything, right? He is authority. There's authority. Now... What are, what are we missing? I mean, we dropped everything. We followed him. He asked us to come. We did. We've got 25,000 people. Just imagine what could happen when we hit Jerusalem. That's probably what the mood was. The disappointment and disillusionment must have been pretty heightened. In fact, I'm, I don't know that I'm right. I can't state it for sure. But I'm wondering if this episode right here is the one that Judas Iscariot lost his whole interest. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bounce in here for just a second because it's the one time, I think it's the first time that Jesus talks about. Let's go to John chapter 6. You're still there, I think. I'm still here. And let's watch. We, we read verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It's like vanish, vanished, gone. Then, verse 67, Jesus said unto the twelve, can, can you just, you can see this. They're just, and the disciple, what's going on? And he said, are you guys going to go too? And look at this. Then Simon Peter answered him, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe, he's speaking for the group, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ that's the one that Jesus has been talking who he is, an anointed one, the son of the living God. What an answer. But watch how Jesus responds. Verse 70. Jesus answered them, have I not chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? That's the first time he said that. Not that he didn't know it, but I'm not sure that this episode right here, where they are a pinnacle, they're at a climax in the sense of following and popularity, and then Jesus just says, no, 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 that, this is not what this is about. This isn't about free happy meals. This isn't about us just going down and kicking tail at the local Roman uh, fort. I mean, this isn't what it, no, I want, I want to get into your heart. I want, to, I want you to see what I'm really here for. Judas wasn't ready for that deal. He was in it for the money. 
He was in it for the stuff. He was in it to use Jesus, right? Isn't that true? Absolutely. But now I want to read you a verse. How did Peter and the group come to that consensus? I mean, that's, that's the right answer. That's somebody that's explored Jesus, found Jesus, and knows Jesus. That, that's perfect. I'm going to read you a verse that we read already, but it kind of blows our mind. Because if you, and I said last week, if I would have been there watching Jesus, and maybe I was so far back of the 25,000, I couldn't see him, but I know this much. We're in an isolated area. Yes, it's green. Yes, it's a nice place to lay down and, you know, to recline and all of that. But there ain't no food here. And he says, he gets everybody lined out. Disciples line them all out, get them in groups of 50. And then he thanks God. And they start eating. And these disciples, these 12 guys, I mean, they are on the run. They go back, empty out, go back. Where's it coming from? And it wouldn't take too much, too long to say, that's a miracle. I want to read you a verse that just blow, it really just blows my mind. Let's go back to Mark. Mark chapter, I believe it's 6. Mark chapter 6. And... This is verse 51. We'll start there. Well, let's start verse 50. We've, we've read this already. It's, it's the episode of him walking on the water. They all saw him, verse 50, it's chapter 6 of Mark, and were troubled. Uh, would you be troubled? How many people have you seen walking on the water? So nobody's troubled. Okay, very good, very good. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Now, remember what last time? Remember last time the water event? Jesus was in the boat, right? He's in the boat. And this fierce storm comes up and they're about to lose their lives. Jesus, what, what, what's, what, what's your deal? I mean, you, you want to pray maybe? You want to do something? You want to, I don't know what to do. And he did. And he got up and he spoke to the wind and to the waves. And, it was, and what were they? It says they were really afraid. Mark that, okay? This time you can see the wonder. Now, we've already seen in Matthew chapter uh, 14, the one we read, the second passage we read today. At the very end, verse 33, is the key component of what we're seeing here today. I want you to see this. At the end of that, the first time that I know of, that the disciples literally worshipped Jesus Christ. They thought a lot of him. They followed him. They trusted him to a degree. They, they really thought he was the ticket, right? But this is the first time that I'm aware of that they worshipped him. Okay? Now look at this verse that comes next in Mark. After what we just read. Verse 52, it's like an aside, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. The feeding of the 25,000, and they were participants. And guess what? You know, what, what do you think? They were, they were kind of passing all the food out. And, well, I guess that's it. Oh, we don't get to eat? And Jesus said, well, just go out and pick up the what's left. Oh, well, Peter, you got a basket. Well, so did I. Well, we all did. What a deal, right? And we talked about precise power. God knows exactly how much we need at exactly the right time. Precision with power. At any rate, at the end of that, how could you not get that? That's what it says. Did you, it's right in the Word. Didn't make a difference. They said their heart was hardened. What does that mean? There's a lot of people today. A lot of people. And it's a sense of insensitive spiritually. They're just not connecting. They're just not there. That's what a hardened heart is. And, and the longer you stay in that position, uh, that's treacherous ground. Don't stay there. 
Keep looking, keep leaning. No, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to take, I want to go right to Peter right now because he fits us perfectly. But we're not going to do that. I'm going to make sure that you wait for that moment. They didn't get it. But now for, for Peter to have the right answer in John chapter 6, verses 69, what happened? Right here is the miracle. The miracle. We're just going to unfold now, which we've read. This is the miracle that the disciples got it. And that's what I think Jesus was on the mountain to pray for. Because he knew the next day that most of the people would go away. That wasn't a mystery. Because when you unload the the truth, you unpack it. When you say you're the bread of life and you can only participate of me if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. But that, that didn't go over well. In a spiritual sense, you have to incorporate everything that Christ has come to be. That was a rejection. Put up the walls. You mean you're not here for me? You're not here for, for my benefit? As a matter of fact, I am, but it's your soul. It's your heart. It's the things that you can't fix. You can probably go up and wrestle at breakfast, but you can't wrestle up sinless. I'm here for that. That's what we got to do first. <laughs> how, did, how did Peter get that so right? How did they move from being fearful and amazed to worshiping? Jesus. This event right here. And I think Jesus' prayer time on the mountain was key and instrumental for all of that to happen. Because think of how dangerous it would have been for all of those people to leave and those disciples to leave with them. It would have been pretty easy. In that boat, which I've asked you several times to contemplate, now you see that was a pretty disillusioned 12 that were in that boat that night. And then guess what happens next? What's worse than being disillusioned and being disappointed? A dirty, rotten storm again. Whew! Here it comes. Don't you love to be in storms when you're disillusioned? You're disappointed? It's the worst time to have one of those, right? Very true. Life is a storm, isn't it? And usually the stormiest times, and we're probably the least prepared, or the most vulnerable. At least it even seems more stormy that way too, doesn't it? It really does. How do we handle it? Well, let's take a look. Let's walk through now. This is a, you can, I, I think I've taken a lot of time setting up the whole sense of the, the context. Uh, there's another thing I would like to say, though. Uh, if you remember back in Mark chapter 4, we didn't spend any time here, but it was just before, what was, where did we pick, what was chapter 5, the first miracle we kind of looked, his, his power over... Where was he at? I got, I got to go back. Just a sec. I'm in John. Let me go back to Mark. There was a passage. There was, he was teaching in, in chapter... Oh, yeah. Power over demons, right? As he got to the Gadarenes. Okay? Well, if you go back to Mark chapter 4, just do that quickly. Um, you can read this on your own maybe later today or whenever. In Mark chapter 4, verse 1, he talks about the parable of the sower. Okay? And there's different types of ground that the seed falls on. And I can't, I I was thinking of it today, how much more vivid could it be than for these 25,000 people, for Jesus to lay this out, give a miracle to, I almost said the word entice, but it's not that way, to prove that he is who he says he is. He's backing up his words of truth with literally, and by the way, here's, here's really bread and fish that have never lived, and they're for your benefit. Wouldn't you say their hearts, their response was, 
maybe shallow ground. I'm talking about the 25,000. <laughs> they're gone. Or the thorny ground. Just, just sort of, as soon as they found out it wasn't all about them, gone. Again, I, I know of people that said they've trusted Christ. But when you get beneath it a little bit, it was just only for what could I get from God. That's shallow soil. That's thorny soil. That's not good ground. The disciples, on the other hand, with, G, with Peter's response. Now, again, it's the first time again that I'm aware of that Jesus literally laid out, yeah, I've selected 12 and one of you is a devil. But those 12, short Judas Iscariot, literally were good, fertile ground of which the message stuck. And it sticks today. Isn't that cool to see how all of that works? And by the way, don't miss this. I, I've said it a couple times, but make sure of this. There's two ways that Jesus ministered to these disciples on that night. It was in the middle of the night, too. I've got Mark. I don't know if it's in Mark. Where are we at right now? In Mark? Or are you still in John? Tell me where you're at. Mark. Mark. Okay, I think this is... I have to point this out right now. I'll probably forget it. Okay? So, tell me, what time of day was it? When Jesus was... Or the, the, that the disciples went out on the boat. In the evening. Second evening, which was probably even 6 to 9 o'clock. Okay? And away they go. And it says in John that actually they were 25 to 30 furlongs, which a furlong is about an eighth of a mile. So they're about three and a half miles out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you think about it, if you, I don't have the map up there, but if you were just going to go from the Bethsaida area... Right across to Capernaum, it would have only taken you three and a half to four miles. This storm was so boisterous that it just took them further and further and further out into the sea. And they're rowing like nobody's business. In fact, it says Jesus shows up on the fourth watch. What does that mean? What time of day is that? Now, again, they left probably between 6 and 9 o'clock at night. Jesus went to the mountain to pray. They take off in a boat. Fourth watch is... 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. 3 to 6. That's a whole lot of rowing and a whole lot of storming. But look at this in Mark. In verse um, verse 47, Mark chapter 6. When even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing. He saw them. Uh, How easy to see... from the mountain in the middle of the night that they were toiling. He's God. Now, could he physically see that? All I know is he's like the ultimate in GPS. I remember when I first got, first got GPS right. And, I'm, and I'd farm at night a lot, really did. And the worst time was if, if kind of rolling a field because it's dusty. And in the middle of the night, you have lights, but if you have the rear wind or a crosswind, and you're, let's say you're lining up on your left side, all you see is, all you see is, all you see is, is blowing dirt. And it's amazing the next morning, you didn't follow very straightly, right? GPS in the middle of the night, middle of the day, doesn't matter. Especially if you have RTK, which is sub-inch. I don't have my hands on the steering wheel, thank goodness. It just knows where it's at. Well, God has the ultimate GPS. He knows exactly where you are every second 
of every day, in every storm, in every in every possible imaginable situation. And it says he saw them. He knew exactly what they were going through. And he goes to them. He just goes to them. He knows when to go. What do you think the disciples are saying about the time that the wind gets? It's really probably not too important the fact that they're disappointed about what happened today. They're concerned for their lives. They're concerned with the situation. And you know what's really bad this time? Jesus isn't in the boat. Last time we could at least wake him up and he said stuff. And it was weird and it was wild and we were more fearful before because it seemed like God was in the boat. He's not here today. Now what? And there's no other boat, by the way. It says the next morning the crowd came and there was no boat. They took the only one. So they, he couldn't come out there. He couldn't even find them. Their disillusion when it went to complete terror, a complete meltdown. And then, let's go to our tag. Let's go back to Matthew. I'm going to take Matthew. I like Matthew. It's a little more, uh, maybe we're robust because it includes Peter's uh, portrayal in this. He's the, this is the only gospel that does that. Luke doesn't even make mention of it. But Matthew chapter 14, let's pick it up again in uh, verse 22. We'll start right from the beginning. And straightway, immediately, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And by the way, he got that. That was all handled. It was done. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray alone by himself. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. That's a really nice way of saying it is one miserable kind of a storm. In the fourth watch of the night, and we've just read from Mark's account that he saw them, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. How did he know where to go? He just does. It's amazing when you turn back and you look at one of those storms in your life, how did, how, did, how, how did that work out that that person called that person and then that person came over here and met me at just the right time? Those things happen all the time, don't they? I can't remember the last one. It was this last week. And, I, you, know, and, you, and you, you kind of think back how you, you know, I lingered there and I, didn't do, and I did that and I shouldn't have. But I get here at just the right time when someone was leaving and we passed. In fact, it was in Costco. Actually, it was. It was on, uh, we, we met a guy that I hadn't seen in years and we were, oh, I know, um, we, had, we had a little mishap. We, we had, some, we had a, one of those dual-pack A1 uh, sauce deals, and it broke. It fell off the cart. And, you know, and, you, know you feel rotten, you know. And whatever. But, but it kind of slowed us down. You know, what, were Lisa not happy about that? I don't remember Glee just coming off of, you know, and I kind of apologize. Kind of, no, 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 this happens all the time. And, you know, they're really actually very, very nice. And they went and got another... Uh, pack and we actually took one home even though we'd broken one they wouldn't allow us to pay for it but all of this is taking time that's my main point and we finally and then Lisa has to go to the restroom so we're you know just delayed a little bit and again you you know no big deal but here we are and when we just go out at just the right time here's this guy haven't seen him forever he said I have been meaning to come and see you I haven't been to church forever I just I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And so I, I was able to share with him about it, another situation. And it was just cool, right? God knows exactly the schedule that we're on to make exactly sure that our schedule is exactly right. Does that make any sense? The disciples are in the middle of the ocean, not the ocean, the sea. They're four miles in, according to John. John, if you can read that in John, John's gospel. 
But you know what? They were exactly where they were supposed to be. Mark that. Some people say that storms in your life is because you're not following God. Job would have been accused of that. Uh, Job, obviously his friends, Job, you're you're not coming clean, but you have a miserable, miserable sin that you're not telling us about. And God is finally saying, that's enough of you, Job. What do we know about that? That wasn't true. In a lot of cases, that's not true. God knows just how much of a storm you need for you to grow your faith. And he uses storms. See, I'm using a different word today. James would use the word trial. A storm and a trial are very much alike. And you feel alone. And you feel lost. And you feel there's no hope. And you may even be disappointed and disillusioned when you got, when you got in the storm, right? In the trial. That's when they hit you the hardest, right? But you know what? Jesus knows where you are. He knows what you need. And he will bring you what you need. But before he does that, he's literally praying for you before he does any of that. He is right now at the right hand of God interceding for his own. I take great pleasure in that. Knowing whatever comes to my life that literally Jesus Christ is interceding for me. Uh, The scripture has often illustrations uh, here pretty close to his crucifixion he says to peter uh peter old buddy old pal um satan really kind of wants you he wants you really bad i would think that peter would have gotten a bigger bullseye on his back when he come up with the right answer in john we read that thou art the christ the son of the living god i think at that point uh satan was shooting bigger stuff But he said, here, Peter, Satan wants you. He wants to sift you as wheat. What did he say? But I have prayed for you. He's praying for you. He prayed for those disciples. Now, when they first see him, let's keep going. Matthew chapter 14, uh, the fourth watch we talked about, that's 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. And and by the way, uh, he came, this, this is really cool to me. He came... In the storm. Storm's not a problem for God. But he also came on the storm. Because as boisterous as this was, he's walking on top of the water. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. Maybe he just, maybe it just calms when he, it could be, but I'm going to say this, that when Peter went out of the boat, all was good when he's focused on Jesus. And then it says he saw the what? The wind and what the wind does. Jesus came in the storm and on the storm to give what they needed in strength for the storm they're in. Let's keep going. Uh, So here we go. He's walking on the water. uh, Four miles in. Let's just three, four miles in. When the disciples saw him, verse 26, walking on the sea, they were troubled. Really? (laughs) That seems a bit understatement. I don't know what I would do at three in the morning after we've been rowing our guts out, trying to just keep the thing upright, bailing water out, and we're getting further and further and further away from our destination. And all of a sudden, and now now this is the other key component. It wasn't just one of them that saw a UFO. They all saw Jesus. They were troubled. Did you guys see that? Do Do you guys? Yeah, we see it. In fact, the word is phantom. Now, the word we get phantom from, they thought it was a ghost. 
He said, as a spirit, and they cried out with fear, cried out for fear. In one of the, the, uh, the correlative passages, it says they screamed. They were out of it. They were done. They were terrorized. There was nothing left. Yeah, right? You just release. But straightway, right away, immediately, verse 27, as they're yelling and screaming, Jesus spake unto them and saying, <laughs> it's almost too much, isn't it? Here's, you get this boisterous storm. You've been rowing for about eight hours, and you're going nowhere but worse. And here comes this ghost walking on the water, and he says, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Well, the voice probably they would have recognized without question was Jesus. They'd walked with him for two years. They knew who he was. Be of good cheer, <laughs> right? How many times when you're really, really in that storm of life and you're just screwed into the ground and you can't take anymore, and God says, it's okay. Just trust me. I have been, I thought, right? Doesn't this fit our lives? Isn't this perfect? And then Peter. I think he was the one that missed Jesus the most from the last time. Remember where Jesus was the last time they were on the water? I shouldn't, I shouldn't say the last time, but the last big event, the one that was life-threatening. Uh, Jesus was in the boat. He's not in the boat. I suspicion that Peter, above all, was saying, oh, if only Jesus was here. And here, out of the blue, is Jesus walking on the water. <laughs> Peter can't stand it. He says, Lord, if it be you, bid me or command me to come unto thee on the water. Now, there have been a lot of ways to, to diagnose that. You know, Peter's kind of this flamboyant show-off. He's very presumptive, and he can be a little bit presumptive. There's no question about that. Uh, but I'm going to tell you something. At 3 in the morning, as you've just about lost your life, I think showing off is not the most important thing in your world. See, when I, when I lay it into context, and, and Peter is, he's, he's mouthy and he's really arrogant in times, but, you know, it's interesting. They tell me that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, that a lot of what he got, now again, the Holy Spirit inspired him, what's right down, but a lot of what he got was from Peter. It's interesting that this passage, this narrative in Mark does not discuss Peter because he would have never seen himself as important enough to be in something that was to show off God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So here's Peter, and I think it's just this simple. I want to go to Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with him. No matter what goes on, I want to be with him because that's the safest place to be. In fact, let's read that verse carefully. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee in the water. And he said, come. Simply, just, just simply, just come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. Watch. Don't miss this. He walked on the what? To go to Jesus. Not to see if... I, I always, have always wanted to know if I could walk on the water. This would be my time because Jesus is. It, no, it's nothing like that. Literally, he, Peter, wants to be with Jesus. And he's not inhibited by anything. At this point, he gets out of the boat. His eyes are on Jesus. That's where he's going. He's going to get to Jesus. I'm not sure that he thought through what is it we're going to do when Jesus and I are both standing on the water. But he didn't care because if I'm with Jesus, everything's good. 
I know last time, I know last time Jesus was with us in the boat, we were safe. Isn't that true in your life storm? When Jesus is in the storm with you, no safer place to be no matter how raging the storm is. So Peter gets out, walks on the water. How many times do you think he'd walked on the water before? Zero. But verse 30, that one, if you could just take that verse and just throw it away, right? But isn't that how we are? See, Jesus used, last time we were, remember, remember when he said, Oh, you of no faith. And this time it was little faith. You know what God can do with a little faith? He can grow it into more faith. And he can take that and he can grow it into more faith. That's what he did in Abram's life. Abram's life is fantastic. When you watch where Abram was, he was scared of the Egyptians because he was married to a beautiful woman. And he lied about her. In chapter 22 of Genesis, he literally took his son, his only son that God had promised, and took him to the mountain to sacrifice him, literally to slay him, because he trusted God that he could, God could not go back on what he had said. Now that's taking faith and growing it. And growing it and growing it and growing it. And that's the only way you can do it. Mark this again. James would call it a trial. Uh, Peter would probably call it a storm. The only way to grow faith is in the storm. Do you know how effective this night would have been? Now, we already told you what the miracle was of feeding 25,000 in regard to the hearts of the disciples. It fell flat on its face. I don't know because they were too busy involved in it i don't know but it says they were insensitive to it but this one when they were in the depths of a storm without jesus they got it they were on fire because they got the right answer the day after and all of the people left something changed that was the miracle that literally changed their lives and peter was right in the middle But when the wind was boisterous, verse 30, he was afraid. Ah, what's the opposite of fear? Faith. That little bit of faith turned into a whole lot of doubt and fear. And beginning to sink, isn't that that what fear does to us? Just think about life now. When you're full of fear, what happens to your life? You just sink. But here's the cool thing. (laughs) He said, Lord, save me. As Scared as he was, he still said, Lord, save me. And Jesus said, not in your life, buddy. That's not what he said. Immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, why did you doubt? When they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. (laughs) Oh, another miracle, just matter-of-factly. So it's, it's still pretty boisterous. It's still pretty windy. Peter, it takes his game, game plan off. As he's walking to Jesus, all of a sudden this wind, you know, is pretty boisterous and he loses his bearings and poof, he starts to sink. Jesus reaches out and then they get in the boat and whew, wind's gone. Ah, that's the Jesus I remember. Last time he was in our boat, the wind ceased too. But then it's even, there's one that nobody talks about. Or if they do, it, oftentimes we're so blown away by everything else. When they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him. We talked about that. Let's go back to, I think it's in Mark probably. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. There's another miracle. Um, nope, that's not it. Let's go to John then. It's the only one left. See if I'm right. John chapter 
uh, 6, John chapter 6. Hopefully we'll find it here because I know it's in one of the Gospels. Maybe it's the Gospel of Larry. Huh? That's not good. We'll find out what it says. John chapter 6. We've read verses 14 and 15, have we not today? John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, talking about they wanted to really just take him and be a king. Okay, let's go from verse 17, just a few verses. And entered into the ship, the disciples went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea rose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, three and a half miles, four miles, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. And he said unto them in his eye, Be not afraid. Then they willingly received him in the ship, and immediately, watch this, and immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. Now, it even makes it more spectacular in the fact that this is John's account, John the Apostle, saying that when he got in the ship, oh, by the way, we were 25 and 30 furlongs out into the sea, and when he got in the ship, two things happened. One, the wind quit. Number two, we were literally right there on the shore. That's the quickest three miles that you've ever rode in your life. And then they just bowed down and worshipped him. Yes? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't honestly know. The only one that I that I could speak to is the fact that Mark would have gotten a lot of his information from Peter, and Peter apparently didn't think. And again, the Holy Spirit inspired. I'm getting. I'm getting in in dangerous territory. But it is interesting that one of the four Gospels writers, Matthew, who was an apostle, would have been there, would have seen it, felt it was important to include it. John. I don't know why he left it off. In fact, it's pretty short on John. Luke, it's not even, the account isn't even mentioned. There's nothing there. Mark is rather succinct, very complete, but not fully digressed. Matthew is the only one that's really, really pretty, it's pretty complete. So I don't know, actually. But I'm thankful that Matthew did. Because it's really, it's made a lot of things. See, for me, because I'm looking at this, this pinnacle of everybody following and then nobody's following. I mean, yet the disciples came up with the perfect right answer. At just the right time. Because of this. First time they worshipped him. That's pretty cool. To go from following, calling the teacher a rabbi, a good man, or whatever you want to call it, to literally falling down and worshipping him. By the way, worship is... There's only one that's to be worshipped. In fact, the, the Apostle John in Revelation, in just a sense of awe and wonder fell down before an angel, and that angel quickly said, no, 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 no. You need to get up. You need to get up. I'm not God. Jesus was worshipped by many. He was worshipped by the wise men. We could go on and on. But for those disciples to worship him was truly amazing. Jesus showed his authority. He showed his knowledge. He saw them. He knew where they were at. He knew what they needed. He knew all of that. Why do you think Mark includes the little phrase in there, and he would have passed by them? Yeah, in fact, i tell you what it reminded me of, and I, I kind of just you know, passed by that, yeah, pun yeah. intended, right? Okay. 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 So think of this for a moment. Do you remember on the, the disciples are on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection? And they're depressed. I mean, they're, they're down. In fact, they're, they're leaving to get out of town, and... All of a sudden, they run into this guy, this stranger. 
And they, he says, what's your problem? What, what's going on? You mean you, you haven't heard about And they just rehearse all of this. And then it says that he would have went on. Right. That's what it reminded me of. In other words, he's like walking. And if they wouldn't have said anything, if they wouldn't have cried out, I don't, it was like he would have just kept going. That's what I got out of it. It almost seems like the right? same thing. It's the only reason he stopped is because he cried out. And right. Said, <laughs> but he was close. Here we are. <laughs> but, but, but here's the other thing. Now, here's the other thing, the other part. He could have been out about another hundred yards in the dark of the night, and they wouldn't have known he was there. But he made sure that he was close enough so they were scared out of their wits <laughs> and cried out to him. And then he said what he said. I, I can't emphasize enough. I've tried to emphasize as much as possible. These guys were in a storm that was amazingly difficult. No Jesus in the boat. But they were on the pathway of obedience. They were right where Jesus told them to be. You say, wait a minute. They're like way off course. It wasn't that they weren't trying. It says in, in, in at least one of the, of the passages... They headed toward Capernaum, and that's what he told them to do. Storms of life will take you off course. They'll take you off course. Even though your intentions are right. But you know what? God knows where you're at. That's what's important. They had no idea they were going to be four miles off course. Jesus did. And Jesus used that storm to literally, that miracle, turn them from disciples into apostles, I guess I'd say it that way. And that's, that's not the pure definition of what that means. But the sense of the matter is this. Where everybody stopped following him, these disciples were turned on to worshiping him. They weren't ready to use Jesus. They were ready to worship him. And literally, within a few hours before that, they were disillusioned. They were disappointed, just like the rest of them. Because you can see it. They were vying for even, and, and again, they would fall back into that. On the, you know, we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion here in a little bit. And on that very night, the last night they would eat together, the disciples were vying for who's going to be the most important, the most... You see, they missed it again, isn't it? It almost seems like Jesus wanted them to recognize who he was by what he did rather than what he said about himself. I mean, the same thing happened in Peter where Peter acknowledges he's... Christ, the Son of the living God, and he talks to Peter and he says, you're right. He said, unto you I give the keys of heaven and so forth and so on. And then he turns around and he says, and he commanded them not to tell anyone. What? I mean, like you said who I was, now don't tell anybody. Uh, Isn't that kind of crazy? It it does seem rather absurd, but the people that they would say that to, they would have got the same message that the miracle of feeding the 25,000 would have accomplished. They saw the Messiah, the Redeemer, that person that God was sending to be there. Whatever I need, I'm going to get. We're going to be living in the kingdom age. And he wanted to make sure that, just like the disciples, that they would get that message by themselves on right. what Jesus revealed. Right. They had to realize Absolutely. It it's the same here today. You can witness to somebody a, a million times, and you know, obviously overusing the word million, but and you know what? Unless God is there in the middle of it, the Holy Spirit wooing and calling, you can't you how could you miss that? 
because they were spiritually insensitive. That's what Jesus was praying. I'm convinced on that mountain that night by himself was praying for them, that insensitivity to give way, to be open to what the truth is really all about. I wonder how many times that I've had truth presented to me and I've really, really not got it, at least to the extent to where my life should be as a result of it. I'm sure it's just hundreds of times. But praise God that he's not finished and he's continuing to work his purposes on me to make me just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. This passage of Scripture, I don't know how many times I've been through it. I don't know how many times I've taught it. It's never been more resoundingly pure in the sense of what it did for these disciples. It was the perfect miracle at the perfect time. I even believe if it was, if it was a windy day in the middle of the day, it wouldn't have worked. Because Jesus wouldn't look like a phantom. He wouldn't look like a ghost. He would have just been walking on water. Hey, God, are you kidding me? What's he got? Stilts or what's going on here? No, no, it was the perfect time for the perfect storm that took them beyond what they had faith for. And that's how their faith was stretched. That's how they got to the point of literally falling down and worshiping Jesus Christ for the first time as a group. That's amazing. And that's God. That's God. In fact, there's coming a day. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. There's coming a day that everyone will bow their knee. There's a lot of folks today that would scoff at that. But there will come a day. Because the scripture is true and it's never wrong. Philippians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 9. Philippians 2, 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day's coming. It's in everyone's best interest to bow now rather than later. <laughs> Revelation talks about those that will bow later. Wow. Divine authority. Divine knowledge, divine love, divine power. And there's one I left. i got to see if i got it in my notes. Oh, of course. The one that's probably as important to us as anything. Divine protection. There isn't anywhere you can be, if you're a child of God, if you're trusted Christ as Savior, there isn't anywhere that you can be that you are not protected by Jesus. Nowhere. doesn't matter. Isn't that... Oof, that's a lifter, right? Just want to be with him. Just want to be with him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your divine power, your divine love, your divine protection, your divine knowledge, and your divine authority. It's amazing, Father, how rich the Gospels bring to light our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. We want Jesus to be glorified. We want him to be honored. We want to be with him just as Peter in the middle of the night, actually later in the middle of the night, early, early morning, he wanted to be with Jesus. May we have the same desire. And Father, just as his faith wavered when he started to look around, Father, may we be focused exclusively on you. For therein our faith will grow. It will magnify because of you. Thank you, Father, for this 
historical climax of these disciples getting it and getting it right. Because our Jesus was on the mountain praying. Our Jesus was on the water walking. Our Jesus was on the water walking to bring strength, to bring a little more faith to that group so that they literally saw him for who he was for the first time and fell down and worshipped him. They saw him as truly the Son of God. Father, take us and use us just as you did the disciples. Those men, their lives were stretched. Their lives were difficult. But you took them and you made them impactful. They were for a time just like this in the time that they lived. Just as we are here for a time such as this. The world has gone crazy. But you haven't. Your love is no less. You are still on the throne. You still love people. You still have compassion. Jesus died for them as well. May that message be loud and may it be strong. Take us where we are now, Father, and grow us. Make us everything that you desire for us to be as we yield our will to you. We thank you for all that you will accomplish. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.